All right. Everybody grab your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six. This is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, you need one in your hands. If you have one on your phone, great. If you didn't bring one and you need one under the chair in front of you, you should be able to find and connect with the Word of God. We want you to be able to have it in your hands and read it for yourselves. Uh, as we engage this morning, we're going to connect, uh, continuing on in this series called Reclaimed, uh, which is an opportunity to just, as we're walking into this holiday season where we're often sitting around a table, how can we be intentional around the table, um, especially over these coming months where we come together? So we're looking, looking into that a little bit. And so I think there's something God wants to impart to us today. So we're going to dive into the word and then we'll finish this morning with an opportunity just to connect with God's heart and worship. We'll have our team come back up and just anchor down what the Lord wants to do uh, in our hearts and minds. So that's where we'll go. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, um, we'll dive in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, showing us who you are. And your word says that the false God of this world is blinding those that don't believe or trust in you. They're blinding them from seeing your goodness and your glory through the face of Jesus. So we're asking that you would continue to peel back the layers, pull down the blinders, let us see Jesus let us see your goodness, Father. Everything that you are was demonstrated in Jesus, and we want to see you and know you. And so I pray that you would reveal more of your heart for us. I pray that you'd reveal more of your heart for this church. I pray you would reveal more of the things that you want to do in us and through us. That's why we come to open your word, and that's why we're here. So would you do it? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I love uh, the holiday time that we're coming into, and it is full of traditions, tons of traditions. And even as I say that, when I say holiday traditions, it's likely that you have like a thought in your head. In fact, I might just mine here for some of the traditions you have. So I'm just putting you on notice. You need to be thinking about some of the traditions that you have coming up, because I'm going to ask you about them in just a second. I'm going to tell one, one of the traditions that we had growing up. And my, my mom was up from Louisiana. That means my, my, my grandparents, my grandfather and grandmother are from Louisiana. And so uh, they had moved to, they moved to East Texas uh, when my mom was a senior. So they grew, she grew up in Louisiana. They moved to East Texas when she was senior, but they kind of kept those Louisiana roots. And so we would come together, our whole family, what we would do is we'd pick, we picked Dallas, and Dallas was the central place for all of our family. So all of our family, this huge family, my mom was the oldest of five children. And so all of them and all of their kids and all the grandkids, we all piled in. We all met in Dallas and we met in hotels. So we did Thanksgiving in hotel rooms, but there were those suites that had um, the stoves and stuff, right? Uh, and so uh, they had the, like a whole kitchenette thing. And so we would pile in. It would just be like, hey, like, hey, hi, uncle. I'm sorry you're under my armpit right now, but we're, I'm glad that we're here. And we're like having this moment together. But we were just, we'd pack in. But of course, on, on Thanksgiving day, we had all the normal, traditional, we had, we had turkey and the whole nine yards. We had, I mean, the, the dressing, everything. And, and it, it was, and it's, we were Southern, so it's dressing. 
You don't do stuffing in the South. You do dressing, right? I feel like there's a fight coming on. I feel like, I, no, don't you, mess, don't you mess with my dressing? Okay. All right. So we, we had dressing the whole nine yards. But the night before, the night before, as everybody was coming in on Wednesday to get ready to be there Thursday, the night before, my grandmother made the greatest gumbo you've ever had in your life. It was amazing. She made this huge pots of it and the whole family. And so we'd have gumbo and rice. And I just remember like, this is how you do Thanksgiving in Louisiana. You shovel gumbo in your face the night before Thanksgiving. And, and it was an awesome tradition. I love that. And it makes me feel like I was kind of cool and Southernish. And I used to try to have like a draw, like, I don't even know how to do a Louisiana draw, but I tried to do one, but you know, it was like, it just kind of pulled you in. And it was like part of the culture of our family. It was so fun. Love doing that. What are, does anybody have just a, like for maybe for Thanksgiving, a couple of like traditions that you did, maybe it was food, maybe something else. Yes. Okay. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's it. You were the beloved son-in-law. Way to go. Yeah, hey. That's so good. <laughs> it's really not. But, the, but the, the moral of the story is, if you want to be beloved by the in-laws, eat the garbage. Just do it. Just go for it. Just pile in. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. That's it. Good. So just, that's just word of the wise. Stay away from the jello, gelatin-ish things. Yes, right here. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Yes. My gosh, that sounds amazing. All right, awesome. One more. Yes. Yes. Yeah, everybody's got the best dressing. I love that. Awesome. I love that. That's awesome. I love that. I love, I, traditions are fun. It build, it's building a culture. And, and that's what we actually talked about last week. And so that culture got so ingrained in me. I love making my, I love making the, my, my grandmother's gumbo all the time. And uh, if you know anything about making gumbo, yeah, it like, takes forever to, to make the roux. And you, you can really burn it if you're not careful. You guys know, and all you Southerners know what I'm talking about. And so I always want to make it. And it's like, it'll be 90 degrees. I'm like, hey, let's make gumbo. And my wife's like, why would you do that? It's, like, it's so a hot, a hot pot of... <laughs> 
really spicy food. I don't know why we do that. So, um, <clears throat> but I, I tell you, I, I love traditions. They're fun. They're they're fun to to create cultures and and do those things together. The beauty of that is when you have those moments, there's, there's good cultures that are created, there's fun cultures that are created, and then there's also those cultures that are created that maybe aren't so great, right? And so you have to think about what are the things that you wanna pass on and what are the, maybe the things that you don't wanna pass on. I am universally made fun of by my family, my kids included, because basically all of the Christmas music I listen to is from the 70s. Why? Because that's what my parents listened to in the 70s. So, and I just, it, for those things that stuck in my head, but it's, it's like, maybe that shouldn't be passed on. Maybe you should like update this a little bit. And so my wife's helped me like kind of come up into that a little bit, finding some more contemporary music. And then, but you have to think about what are the things that you want to have as a part of your family? And then what are the things that you want to see that maybe need to change or need to shift over a period of time? One of those things that we talked about last week is beginning to say, hey, listen, you have a culture. Everyone is actually walking in and facilitating a culture. Every person brings something uh, to the table. I mean, everything that we do, in fact, when you, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, when you step into a room, you're bringing your culture into that place. You're bringing a part of, you're bringing who you are. The, the, the atmosphere changes whenever you walk into a room, right? And you, listen, you don't have to be the super extroverted person, all right, to make a difference in a room. I, I, it's happened many and multiple times. I could be in a really crowded room and someone walks through the doors and when they walk through, they don't have to say anything, but when they're there, you're like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that person's here. See, everybody actually has a culture. We're bringing something to the table, to our families. We're bringing something uh, into the places that we walk into. And we can, bring, we can be really thoughtful and mindful about the culture that we bring to the equation or bring to our, a place, or we can just unintentionally be that. And I think there's a call, or what we'll see is that, listen, there is a call to be intentional with the culture that we bring into a place. What is it that we're bringing uh, into our homes and certainly as we come into this holiday season? So the question becomes, listen, hey, what, what culture do I carry and how can we cultivate something that imparts life to other people? What culture am I carrying? When I walk into a room or when, I come, when, I, when we have the family come around us for the holidays or we travel to be with our families or we sit down at the table, what am I bringing and how can I bring a culture that brings life to other people? How can I impart something of worth and value? That's, listen, that's the question. And what I love is that the word is going to simplify this down for us really clearly. In fact, there is a central culture that every human was meant to carry. There's a centralized culture that every one of us was actually meant to carry. And we're going to explore it. It's actually gonna come from two verses. It's gonna center this thing down. One, this one kind of central place, this one prayer, this one declaration that we see in the scripture. And it comes right in Deuteronomy chapter uh, chapter six, Deuteronomy chapter six. But let me, let me set this up for you. The very beginning of Deuteronomy is essentially Moses uh, uh, declaring and 
praying prayers and delivering words uh, to the Israelites saying, hey, there's gonna be the next generation that's gonna go into the promised land. And these are the things that are important for you to hold on to. He kind of begins to say, hey, the next generation must have this imparted to them. If we're going to go into the promised land, these are the things that have to be imparted. You can continue to do what your fathers did before you, which led to enslavement and captivity, or you can step into this thing with fullness of what God wants to say in all of his promises to you. And so Moses is actually challenging them with his wisdom, warning them, uh, because he knows that it, it that if they don't want to repeat their parents' mistakes, they're going to have to change their minds. Essentially, what he's saying is the culture that we've crafted and come out of has got to shift and change. There's got to be something new that's imparted to us. And so from that, we get the Shema. We get the Shema. What is the Shema? It is in your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read this text, and then I have a quick video to show you. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the Shema. This is the central text. It is essentially what we might liken to the Lord's Prayer, the central prayer for the nation of Israel. It has power to it. And I want to just begin to dive into it a little bit. Take a look at the screen. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son, names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because, she says, the Lord has Shama'ah, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, if you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. 
And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. All right, cool, cool introduction to this, um, this concept where uh, the Shema, or this scripture is saying, hey, hear, listen, but do. It's a powerful uh, kind of directive, if you will, command from the Lord saying, here, if you want to have a, the central theme, if you want to understand and know the central idea that God wants to impart into every human, if you, if you will, the central culture that every one of us were meant to carry, it's this, listen and do. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. This is the central culture that God wants. And there's a command to listen, but to not just to hear the words, but to do, to step into it, to begin to function in a way where the truth of God is in us and then imparted from us unto others. There's this command. And I want to say this, that when there's a command from the Lord, hear this, behind every command of God is an invitation. See, when the king of the universe comes to command us and call us to do something, it actually is an invitation to the fullness of life. Essentially, it's when the Lord commands you to do something, he's saying, you're invited to participate in the fullness of glory. You're being invited to participate in that which brings you maximum joy. It's an invitation from a father to walk with him and to know the fullness of his presence and his goodness, thus experiencing all the peace and joy that we all desire to have in life, no matter the circumstance. And that central tenet is here in this prayer. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength foundational element for every one of our lives. That's what we were actually made to carry. We were made to hold on to. We were, we were made to live it out. This, these words, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. That's the culture. And that as we build that in us, I love, love. Look at the next verses, Look, starting in verse six. So as we receive that, then it says this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So it'll be in you. Essentially, he's saying, this is going to be the culture that's inside of you. Now look, verse seven, you shall teach them 
diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So he's imparting something here and here's what he says. Listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. But listen, that culture that is in you that's cultivating this relationship with God, it's meant to be imparted and given away. And he's saying first, there's a first and foremost, the first and foremost place this is meant to be imparted is to your children, to give it away in your home, to ask God for supernatural ability to do this, right? We all know and feel it, uh, it when, we th- when we see this scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and uh, heart, soul, and strength is an impossible task apart from God, right? It takes God to do this. And then it takes God to begin to give it away. But the insight that we get from the scripture here is the first and primary and foremost way that we're supposed to give this away is to be given away to our kids or to our home, into our children. This culture that was meant to be heard and obeyed was meant to be given to the next generation. And so the question is this, how do we teach it? How do we impart this thing that we are all feel very incapable of being able to do? And and, and sometimes meaning we feel like we fall short. And of course the answer to that question is we live out the Shema together in everyday life. In fact, that's what the scripture actually is saying to us. It's not as much, hey, listen, you need to sit down and and teach your kids. And I think there's a real place for being able to sit across and teach something. But in fact, the real way that a culture is imparted from one person to another is by investing time in everyday and real life. So So the scripture actually here says, talk about it when you sit. Talk about it when you walk by the way, meaning carry that culture when you're at the grocery store. Carry that culture when you're driving your kid to their 9,432nd practice, right? Have this culture in you when you're saying goodnight, when you're rising up in the morning. I think one of the um, cultures, if you will, one of the ways that this just manifests in our home is um, I mean, the first thing that happens every morning after my wife wakes up is the worship music comes on. And, uh, and I, I, I'm thankful. I'm not, I'm not super cool, awesome music person, but my wife is, obviously, because she sings so beautifully. I don't know why I'm saying that, except for I just did totally embarrass you and tell you I love you. But anyway, um, all right. But she, she is a music person. She actually br- she brings that culture into our home. And so the first thing that happens every morning is the music's going and worship is filling our home. And listen, I, I don't, it, this is, I believe, what the scripture is talking about when it says, hey, put this thing deep in your heart and then begin to impart this thing to the world around you, first and foremost with your children. And I know this, my children will grow up in a culture where worship is the first thing heard in our home. And I love that. That's, but listen, it's not, a, it's not a Bible study. It's not a Sunday school lesson. It's just when we rise, the music comes on and we are gonna be a house of worship. And I love that our kids will have that culture imparted to them. We get to see that. And I think what the scripture is actually being really practical here 
take this opportunity to engage uh, in, in, in multiple ways. The point is less, hey, sit down and impart, but more like let's live this life together. Let your kids rest in the culture of your home, taking those teachable moments and making sure that we're pointing out who God is and what he's calling us to and what he wants to do in our lives. Now, in this very fast-paced culture that we live in, it can be really easy to ask the question, like, how, how do we really do this in practical terms, right? Because if, if your home's anything like ours, right, you're up, and then all of a sudden, like, it's the scuffle, and you're trying to find, like, the clean socks and all those kind of things. You're trying to get ready for school, and if, you, like, our kids last year, they had two different times they had to be at school, so you're kind of up, and you're doing the breakfast thing at different times, and you're running around. You get your stuff together. You get to school. You have school and work all day long, and then all of a sudden, you have practices and homework and all those things. And then you come to this one moment where you can, if you will, push the pause button and it's called dinner. And it's that one place that gives you an opportunity to be face-to-face, just a moment face-to-face and taking this opportunity to be and to invest in that culture. I think one of the best daily moments to build a Shema culture is around the table. In a culture that's constantly moving, there's one moment where you might be able to sit down and be in front of each other because you gotta eat, right? Because the kids are asking for food, like right at 4.30, you're like, hey, dinner's coming, just hang with me, right? But everybody's ready to eat at some point in time, dinner together, or everybody's ready to eat dinner. And the question is, is there a way that we can, if you will, reclaim the table to sit down and just to impart, to encourage, right? And I'm not saying that this is gonna happen each and every day, right? There's all kinds of crazy schedules, but the question is this, are there intentional ways we can grab those times to sit down and, and walk through what it is that God's doing in our lives, right? Just Even just to sit down and to ask the question, how was your day? What's going on? What was great today? What was hard today? That was one of, one of the real core questions we like to ask is, what was the highlight of your day? And then what was the hardest thing you had to do today? Or what was the thing you didn't like the most? Or what was the thing that was most disappointing to you? Can I tell you something? If you want to communicate about a God who cares about the intimate things of our lives and wants to be in the middle of all that we are and the decisions that we make, if you want to be a part of that, let me tell you how you show your children that he cares about those things, you sit in front of your children and you ask that question and you just dig in a little bit and just ask. And sometimes the answers are funny and sometimes the kid like wipes his nose on your daughter and that was the horrible part of the day and you're just, hey, you're walking through it with her but you're there in the middle of it, right? And you're just hearing what's going on and what you're saying is, listen, you have value and worth. I wanna hear your story I want to know what's going on, and I want to see what the Lord wants to say to you. In fact, one of the things, we don't do this all the time. In fact, I would say, you know, uh, there's lots of evenings where you have stuff going on, but I think it's worth, and I would just say this, it's worth two or three evenings every, uh, every week to try to be able to sit down and do this thing together. And so we don't, we don't do this every night of the week, and we certainly don't do this every time, but one of the things that happens and we get a chance to do is um, on special occasions, what we do is we'll ask the question, hey, what if, 
Like if it's, uh, well, for instance, my daughter's birthday is coming up on Monday. Tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Daughter's birthday is coming up. And one of the things that we regularly do at special occasions is an opportunity to, to say, hey, let's all go around the table and say what we, what, what we love about this person. Just what, what do you love about, and tomorrow it'll be Elizabeth. What do you love about Elizabeth? And everybody around the table gets an opportunity to share, right? This is just our way. This is, I'm just giving you an example of our way of just imparting this. But, uh, but one of the things that I've loved is what happens is, is Megan and I don't even have to ask that question anymore. Our kids are like, all right, who's going to start saying something about them, person across the my face here, you know, like they want to be the ones to lead out it. And I love that they've started to pick up the culture. This, these are just one small way that we might be able to impart in some way. But the point is this, are we looking for opportunities to impart? We're looking for ways to be able to speak life and encouragement. I can tell you right now, we aren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, not even close, but I tell you we, what we want to see is God expressing through us love for um, our children. I don't know if you remember from last week, one of the things that we looked at was how Jesus just sat down and created a culture of the kingdom by sitting with those that were in need. When I mean by in need, I mean spiritual need. Remember, he sits down with the tax collectors and the sinners, and he's judged for it. And he takes time to sit down. He actually sits down with the Pharisees because he knows that they're as bankrupt as anyone else emotionally and spiritually. And he sits down with the Zacchaeuses and he sits down with the uh, Marys and the Marthas and he sits down and Jesus is reclining at the table constantly. And the beautiful thing is that there is an impartation of who Jesus is in that moment around the table. It's something, it's a, it's a normal, if, if you will, it's a normative way we can invest in other people's lives. It's shared meal a shared experience, and a captive audience. It's a great opportunity to ask questions and to speak words of life and to express disappointments and learn how you can pray for each other. And here's what's beautiful. You might be, because I'm, I'm looking around, you might be in a two-person home. You might have said, hey, kiddos, we love you. Or, um, and you're off on your journey to do the whole college thing or you know maybe your kids are grown now or maybe you don't even have kids in your home uh, yet and you may find yourself it's a two-person home can I just say something taking an opportunity to have dinner and to speak life into each other readies you for the people that you will be touching right for those of you that have, you said your kids to move on let me tell you you're you're you don't ever stop parenting right you're just doing it in a different way. How can you continue to impart? For those of you that maybe don't have children at all, maybe you're not at that point or phase uh, in your life, let me tell you, you have many and multitudes to impart to. But dinner time is the opportunity to be face-to-face, -to, -face, to speak life and to ask questions and to say, hey, what is God cultivating in us? And how, how can we be praying for you? And how can we care for you? And those kinds of things. It's a great opportunity to in invest in each other for the purpose of touching people's lives, whether it's in our home or outside of our home. But doing this regularly, one of the, I think one of the most prevalent ways we can pass God's heart on is just by expressing, hey, you have purpose and design. I wanna bring, you might be bring, in fact, you might be one who's bringing people into your home. 
just for the purpose of saying that. We talked about that a little bit last week. In fact, much of the message last week was taking this culture into other people's lives. And so you might be inviting people into your home. And I love the opportunity to be able to speak over uh, people who God is and what he's doing, or maybe just to show their value and worth, right? That's what I do this. I, I want to encourage you. I don't know the, the video we showed this morning. There are literally a hundred of those. Kind. In fact, the, the Shema, they break down. The, this video is broken down into literally every piece and part of the Shema. What does it mean, heart, souls? So all these illustrate, cool digitally illustrated videos, they're all, they're all broken down um, in uh, this gift that we've given to the church. I don't know if you, if you haven't uh, taken the opportunity to jump into it. It's uh, called The Bible Project. It's on the Right Now Media. It's one of the gifts that we give away free to this church. If you're a part of this church, we'd love to be able to give it to you. If you don't have a login, we can give you a login. But one of the things that our family got to do over the past year was engage these digital, digitally put together um, teachings. They're all like seven or eight minutes, like something your kids can consume or something. Honestly, let's be honest, that we can consume, right? Because our, our minds are going a million different, but you might take seven minutes at a time and just engage it and see. And it te- has teachings on literally every book in the Bible, it has digital teachings on every book in the Bible and it has all kinds of stuff. We got to do that with our kiddos. It was a really cool and fun experience. And they were the ones pushing for us to do it. Like we might be like, hey, we got stuff going on. And they were like, no, we want to we wanna do, can we please do a Bible study? Or mostly they were like, we just don't want to go to bed. Please let us watch another video, right? So that was probably mostly what it was. But these are great and creative ways to say, hey, how can we impart life to our church? How can we take this Shema in us and give it away to the culture around us, whether we have kids or not, whether we are ministering outside or not, we wanna have this thing inside of us. And so how can we impart this? And listen, you might even be thinking right now, I don't even know, I don't know how to do this with my family. Or you might even be thinking, we haven't, we haven't really been able to establish this kind of culture. We, this, doesn't speak, this doesn't sound like the, a culture in our home at all. Or sitting down for dinner is not even real because we have such crazy schedules. And I know, especially as kids get older, I want to encourage you that taking as many opportunities as you can, even in the realities of life, to invest in your kiddos or maybe your grandkids or maybe just friends or friendships, it's worth Uh, doing this. It's worth taking what God has put in you to give away, right? You might just find yourself this. Listen, maybe your home is strained. It can be a a, a really easy environment to get some strained relationships, right? Family can be a place sometimes where relationships aren't working really well, and you feel like there's some distance. You've been in that place maybe where you've had a teenager and you had a blow up with each other, right, before. And what, how do you begin to bring life to that culture when you've, when you've blown it, right? Because we've all, as parents, messed up. We've all fallen short. I, I, you could talk with my children. I've had many moments where we've had to deal with where we didn't interact well with each other. 
right? We have those moments, right? I mean, because there's two things that happen. Like, let's just take, for instance, the blowing up at the teenager or maybe blowing up at the spouse or whatever. And all of a sudden there's this rift or there's this thing and you feel a little burned up and you got after it in that moment and the kid storms off and, you know, you tell them to go to their room or whatever that thing is that, what, however that situation goes, there's two ways for that culture to go, Right? Because the enemy immediately is going to come in and see the lie. Gosh, you're a bad parent. And man, your kid is so ungrateful, right? The lies start to come in. When you have those moments where you've fallen short and the enemy's going, you don't have any business bringing a kingdom culture into your home. You're a mess. And your kid's never going to get it. And they're never going to care. And those lies, they get seeded. We hear all the time. And there's this chasm that has to be bridged. And what you do with that moment next begins to define the culture around you, right? Because you can, you can do one of two things. You can passively wait until your teenager miraculously figures out that they don't know everything and they repent in sackcloth and ashes, right? You can wait for that moment, okay? Because this happens exactly never times, okay? Okay? You can wait for that moment passively. And then when the next morning rolls around, right, you just act like nothing happened and you just sweep it under the rug and something begins to build, a culture, if you will, begins to build that isn't life-giving. Or you can do, and I would say what I have done many times, is you have to cool off and you have to come to the Lord and you have to repent for your own junk as a father. And you ask God to forgive you. And then you, in humility, walk upstairs. And you sit in the room. And you look at your child. And you repent for being impatient. And you ask them to forgive you. Because you've fallen short. And then you say, I know you don't agree with me. You're going to have to trust me on this. I know you don't like this decision. But you're going to have to trust me but I'm for you and I'm for your good and I want you to know it. And you take the opportunity to say, hey, listen, you may not understand me and I might not understand you fully, but I'm committed to walking with you through this. And the culture is set. When the anger has had its way, you, son or daughter, are worth pursuing even when you're wrong. And the culture is set when I'm wrong, I ask for forgiveness. And the culture is set. We don't live in a house of bitterness. And the culture is set. We reject what the enemy would try to do to destroy our relationship. And we're going to have a healthy, life-giving relationship because that's who God is and that's what he does. Because when the things get human, and they do, we can pretend it'll just go away and hope that the issues never arise again, or we can just drill right into it and bring the culture that God meant to have, or meant to put in us from the very beginning. And let me just say this from a very real and, and authentic place, as one who has blown it many times and fallen short many times with my kids. Hear this, especially you parents who have kids in your home. Your kids do not need you to be their Messiah. 
they don't. They need to see you pointing them to the Messiah in your weakness. They do not need you pretending to have your life perfectly together. They need you asking to see you. They need to see you asking God to impart his perfection when you have blown it. Church, hear this. This is discipleship, and this is what it means to impart loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Because sometimes you got to grit your teeth and then say, Lord, I trust your word more than I trust my feeling right now. But I want to impart the beauty of who you are. And I trust you. I'm going to walk with you. That's what it means to impart to our kids and, and truthfully to impart to many, many others, not just our own children. The children, listen, this scripture talks about imparting to our children. It's the beginning place. It's just the beginning place. There are many other people we were meant to bring this kingdom culture to. Many other people far beyond the borders of just our home that God wants us to give this away to. And it's entirely, and I'm gonna say that we'll finish with this. In fact, I'm gonna ask our team to come up. It's, it's entirely possible Right now, I just want to say this. It's entirely possible that you've not built the best culture in your home or you're finding that right now, up to this point, man, it's been, it's been really, really difficult and you're not sure what to do or you don't feel like you've got this culture. And I just want to say there's good news for you. One, the blood of Jesus covers and washes every shortcoming. So if you feel like you've fallen short, I, mean, I would be putting myself on the front row if you feel like you've fallen short as a spouse or you feel like you've fallen short as a parent in bringing this culture into your life, let me just tell you, this is what Jesus died on the cross for, to give you new and fresh hope, to be made whole and to be made right. There's good news because the word of God is a lamp for us to begin to find our way to trust him and that God is powerful enough to change our family culture. He is powerful enough to fix our marriages. He's powerful enough to repair the relationships with our children. He is powerful enough to establish new cultures. He's powerful enough to overcome all of our shortcomings if we'll trust Him. And so it starts with taking time to ask the question, Lord, how can we begin to grow? How can we grow together? And how can I show that I love you? What are meaningful ways to communicate to the world around me that they have worth and value? This is what the Lord wants to do. In fact, I would just say this. You might sit across from a friend or a child and look them in the eye. In fact, you grab your teenager and say, hey, I want you to know that you have worth and value to me and I care about you. They might look at you and they might say, ew, gross, right? But I'm going to tell you this, it will be deeply meaningful. It's deeply meaningful to impart those truth, the words of truth and life over people. It's a part of our call and destiny. I want you to stand with me. We're going to ask God just to begin to shift the cultures of our families, the culture of our hearts and our minds. So we can choose to stay in places of dysfunction or we can just say, no, Lord, I want you just to bring who you are into my life first, into my home and into the ministries 
the places that you've called me to love people well and minister and encourage. Would you just begin to pray? Let's just pray and ask the Lord to do that. Father, I'm asking right now that you just begin to establish your culture to love the Lord with all of our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength. Would you do it first in us? Just ask him, Lord, would you impart this culture? Help me to love you. And then help me to give it away. Help me to give it away to my roommate. Help me to give it away to my spouse. Help me to give it away to my child or grandchild. Help me give it away to my coworkers, places of influence that you've given to me. Lord, how can we be intentional? There are many things that you want to impart to us and through us. sing this song again and there's a declaration in in here be enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations on and on and on I want to encourage you to sing that not just as a song of encouragement to you but as a declaration that you were meant to touch people's lives that there are generations of people in fact you might be helping shift and change cultures and families that aren't even your own. A thousand generations, God, changed and transformed by the goodness of your heart, the goodness and the truth of your word. Father, would you put this song deep in our heart? May we cry out to you. May we believe that you'll use us to do it, we ask. Let's sing.